The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Extended. Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended. And we bring you some of Europe's best guests. He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it. News. <laughs> some people will call you mad. Some people will call you heroes. Uh, uh, and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum. It's, uh, it's an amazing project to, to pull together from literally from scratch. And views. You've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and learn from that experience. And that's not an easy thing to do, Peter, learning from your own failure. So why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds, aviation, and the aerospace industry? Come over and give us a visit. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of extended. Extended. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, I've pulled an interview out of the archive that I did way back in June 2013 with Bill Rolfe. This is a fascinating interview with all sorts of aviation, from Royal New Zealand Air Force history to warbirds to barnstorming in Australia and to international business. There's even a bit of international intrigue dealing with the South Africans when that country was embargoed and Israeli nuclear tests there. But the reason I've pulled this out of the archive now is because in the past week, as I record this, the Mosquito PZ-474 flew again after its restoration by Avspex and Mosquito Aircraft Restorations Limited at Ardmore in New Zealand. That particular aircraft is the one that we talk about in this interview which Bill got flying again in 1955 and it went off to the USA. At the time we recorded this, we had no idea that that pile of parts would be gathered up by Rod Lewis, brought to New Zealand and restored. So this is a fascinating piece of history on that aircraft and it's thanks to Bill's efforts way back in the 1950s that it still exists. Here's the interview. A mozzie shot going past from a pahu erupting. Oh, nice. That was about 1947. Okay. 47, 48. Yep. It's the second Harvard I had sharing. Yep. I had 92 there. <coughs> That's the uh, one we were getting ready to go away. That's the one I've got the history of. Okay. And that's just on its test flight. Right. Which I went on. Right, right, yep. So and that was the last you Kiwi. You were the last flight. Kiwi until, until the one flew. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So that's just a bit about, and there's the, there's the aerobatic team I was with. with yep. Sir, Ken, Sir Kenneth Hare. Yep. Ken. That was a sad loss when we lost him. Yeah, definitely. Very bad. Who was the third one on the team? Uh, Garth Hogan. Oh, Garth. Oh, mm. right, yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten. So that three of us, yeah. Yeah. We dragged Garth up from no formation training at all and brought him up. Yeah, it's good. And, uh, oh, well, there's, there's Ken and, yeah, and Garth and I. And uh, Ken and I, we ran a school for formation, all these people. Yeah. Um, you know, some people had never done it. And 747 captain in there and all sorts of bloody things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never. 
Right. What, what I normally do when I do these interviews, I'll, I'll ask you your full name, the rank you got to in the Air Force, and service number. Right. Yeah, well, my full name is William Clarence Henry Rolfe, and my service number was 644786, and I ended up as a corporal in the in the Air Force. I did 10 years service. Okay. And you're known as Bill? Known as Bill, yep. Yep. Born in 1933 uh, in a little small town called Rainbow in Victoria, Australia. Oh, okay, yep. Yeah. So when did you come across to New Zealand? Moved to New Zealand on the 17th of September 1947. Good memory. <laughs> oh, no, well, <laughs> flew over in one of Teal's flying boats with my father. Um, bearing in mind my father was the chief engineer of the Department of Aircraft Production in Australia during the war, during the Second World War. Right. And he ended up as an accredited uh, Air Commodore. So, built a lot of aeroplanes there. So did you grow up um, through the war around aircraft production or...? Well, I drew, grew up amongst uh, aviation all my life from the day I was born. Yep. Because my father had an air circus in Australia. Really? Yeah, that's where, where it was. So he first got involved in building his own aeroplane, a small aeroplane, which I've got photos of, and his elder brother Bill, my namesake, was fly, was a flyer, and they had an air circus. They had six aeroplanes and about 12 or 15 people involved in parachutists and stunt pilots and all that. And uh, then in 1931, uh, my uncle was killed, and there's, there's the cutting okay. for uh, just highlights doing illegal repairs on aeroplanes, what happens, because right. that's, by analysing the wording, that's what's basically happened there. So what kind of aircraft were they um, flying in the air service? Well, that was a Jenny. So they would have gone around uh, around the country. Around the country, different different uh, towns. Fascinating. So, so I was brought up amongst the aeroplanes all my life. Always wanted to fly, and I actually started flying in 1948 at 16 years old, 49. Uh, and uh, got my A licence and then I went into the Air Force and they wouldn't accept me as pilot because of my ears. Oh, right. So, you know, things happen. And, uh, but I did my 10 years. My first squadron was 75 squadron. They were just winding up the mozzies when I first got there. And, uh, they all went into storage. And then we got the Mustang, Mustangs, and I did the first engine change on on a Mustang on zero six was actually, and um, that was an interesting exercise because nobody changed an engine on a Mustang before. Yeah, there's three of us involved, so we we then had the vampires, of course. Yep. And um, so the vampires, and we looked after two TAF Mustangs during the week. Yep. So we were servicing their Mustangs and looking after the vampires. So that was my early, early part of uh, service. And then, of course, I did my fittest course and then posted to Fiji. I had four years in Fiji, which was um, very, very interesting. I didn't like it at first, but after a while I got to enjoy it. And that's with the Sunderlands? That was Sunderlands, yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. So, interesting. The service gives you a very good engineering background. It really does. And um, 
some of my friends are probably some of the best engineers in the country today, Jerry Gaskin being one of them, who has just recently put the venom together for John down in Wanganui. So um, I don't know whether they have the same degree of or standards today, I, I just don't know, haven't kept up with it. But uh, after, after um, the Air Force, or during the Air Force actually, while I was at Ahakia, my father had an aircraft business, um, spares and different things, and uh, he used to buy war surplus aeroplanes. So he bought all the Catalina spares, two hangars full of it, and ship those to um, New Guinea. Uh, he bought the two aero vans, sold those on, and bought the uh, Anson 15 that belonged to the British High Commission, and sold that to Harry Wigley. Uh, Harry got that, and then he bought eight mosquitoes. So the eight Mosquitoes, uh, there were six at Tyree and two at Ahakia. And out of the six at Tyree, four were flyable, you know, after work. And um, Bob Scott, who used to be our B flight commander, uh, he flew them up, ferried them up from Tyree to Palmerston. Um, three without incident. The fourth one, he lost a motor over Levin through fuel starvation, and he was lucky to get him into Palmerston. Actually, uh, what had happened? The the fuel distributing um, valves on the side of the fuselage there had corroded up and had blocked, partially blocked, and it was only his selection to the outer tank. That allowed him to get fuel on on one motor. Okay. So anyway, we got four there, and they sat there for a while, and um, then all of a sudden, my father's partner got a call from a pilot and a navigator who landed in Auckland. He said, "Oh, we're coming to pick up the first mosquito." My father was in Hong Kong. Um, because we had a company in Hong Kong, one in Australia and one in New Zealand. <clears throat> and he, um, uh, Dad's partner, didn't know what the bloody hell to do because he wasn't an engineer. So he rang me up at work at, at Ahaki and he said, look, how are we going to get this aeroplane ready for the pilot navigator to take? So I went and saw my engineering officer, told him the story. And I got two weeks special leave. So I had two weeks off from the Air Force to get this aeroplane ready. And uh, when Al Lou Leach and Al Long arrived, uh, one, the pilot had several thousand hours of mosquitoes and he was an engineer as well. So uh, it was interesting that uh, Fred O'Leary, the CAA inspector on the aerodrome at Palmerston, sort of came up with his clipboard and said, well, before you fly this, you've got to do this, this, and this. And um, old Al sort of looked at him. He said, can I borrow your car? So he got in the car and he drove to the American Embassy and he registered the aeroplane overnight as an American aeroplane. Next day, Fred came along and he said, Keep away from this aeroplane or I'll kick your ass. It's now American property. And little did we know at the time that it was all part of CIA. Um, why they wanted the aeroplane, it had range, it had height. And uh, in the 50s, we didn't have that with jet aeroplanes. <clears throat> and uh, what they were doing, they were monitoring the drug situation in South America. 
The aeroplane actually flew for nearly 20 years doing surveillance work in, uh, in, in, um, in America. So it was sort of interesting. Unfortunately, the government of the day decided that um, the mosquitoes could be used for war purposes and they cancelled the export permit. So my father unfortunately had to scrap them, which he did. And I ended up uh, pulling to bits 27 Merlins for scrap metal in my driveway in Wood Street in Palmerston North. Um, and I shudder to think about that today. So that was um, quite interesting. So because uh, the pilot had registered that one as an American aircraft... Right. It's no longer the jurisdiction of the New Zealand... And, and the export order... We, no, we had the export permit for the aeroplane, but we took it away from the CAA's right to have anything to do with it by registering it as an American aeroplane. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Um, one thing you didn't mention, uh, what was your dad's name? Um, he was called Harry Rolf. His proper name is Robert George Henry. And he, he had uh, he had the Air Circus. Then in 19, about 1937, 36, 37, came the station engineer for Australian National Airways. And then we as a family moved to Sydney in 1939, early 1939. And uh, he was the boss there in, in Mascot. And then at the outbreak of war, the New Zealand, the Australian government nationalised all, all the aviation industry in Australia and took over all their aeroplanes. And they said, Rolf, you get down and look after the production maintenance side of, of, of the uh, government aircraft factory in Fisherman's Men. And so that's where he ended up. Ended up with a staff of 25,000 people. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it was a big outfit. All the area Fisherman's Bend where General Motors have their facility, you know, that was all part of the aircraft uh, manufacturing. So they made engines and all sorts of things in those days. So, uh, and he'd had enough of big business at the end of the war. Well, he went to England and brought back the, all the drawings for the Lincoln bomber, and he got that into production, or got it started. And uh, so his younger brother came back to New Zealand, and um, he encouraged my father to come over here. So that's when we moved. So when you say back to New Zealand, were they originally Kiwis? Or? No, they were originally English. Came out here in 1919 and um, my father first became an electrical wireman in 1922 and then he became a car mechanic. From a car mechanic he had a home-built aeroplane and he went on from that, and that's how he built it up. But he was born in England, I went to, first came out to Rangiora, and then his youngest brother was born in Napier, and uh, which was Cliff Roth. And Cliff, of course, had uh, aircraft. He owned, uh, he brought AXI, the Dragon. Yes. Brought that out to New Zealand and flew it and sold it to people in Nelson and that prang and of course he had a proctor as well. So the whole family was virtually involved in, in aviation over the years. Yep. So then after, um, after I left the Air Force I went into family business and I got into my flying, back into flying and uh, Subsequently, I owned 13 odd aeroplanes and uh, five gliders. 
Um, and uh, flew 44 different types over time. And in, um, when I moved to Auckland in 1976, I met up with Trevor Bland again, who used to help a sweet bloody hanger floor at Ahakia. In the early 50s, he used to come up with TAF. And, and so I met up, and of course, Trevor's a brilliant instructor. And um, I bought into one of the syndicates, and Trevor was uh, did my conversion onto the harbour. So from then on, I uh, I had some marvellous instructors, a really good one. You know, John Peterson, John Danton, Keith Skilling, John Lamont. Ross Ewing, uh, Gavin Trithui, uh, then Ken Hare, of course, later on. And uh, I even had, when when I got into the full aerobatic thing, um, Ray Hanna actually came with me and did a critique of, of the standards. That, so I had a very, very uh, enjoyable 20 odd years display flying and flew all the flew all of the uh, air shows at Wanaka from when it first started till 2002. It's uh, a bit of history. There's all the aeroplanes I've flown, the aircraft owned. Okay. And, um, Are you flying the vampire? Yeah, oh yes, yeah, the vampire. And the Trojan? Mm hmm. What's the Trojan like? Is that good, good aircraft? Uh, well, it's a grunty aeroplane. It really is a grunty aeroplane. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. I've heard they can outclimb the Mustang up to. They can, low level. Yeah. yeah. Outperform it, actually, low level. So, um, just taking you back to w when you were, you had the two weeks off the Air Force to go and get this aircraft yeah, yeah. ready, and, and tell me about that test flight that you went on. Well, um, I'll, I'll, up until we heard from the pilots to come pick it up, uh, I used to run the aeroplanes each weekend. There was two that we ran, and the other two we just left stored, knowing that somebody is going to come out in the near future. Um, in running it, we knew the problems that had to be fixed. I had to change the bloody dome seals on on both both uh, props, which was a damn nuisance. Had to change two harnesses, plug harnesses, uh, because of leakage, uh, moisture problems. And we got Frank Hay of Fielding to build a 400 gallon fuel tank which we fitted into the Bombay and hung on the, the ammunition and gun strap points in the Bombay there. And the filler point was on the shelf just behind the pilot. So we'd fill from the top of the canopy down in, in that way. Bloody awkward. And the only navigation they had, we rigged up an Astrodome um, Astronav frame uh, rig so that the navigator could there and take his shots. That's all they had. They had a, a uh, ADF, one ADF, a VHF, and an Astronav thing. And they flew all the way back to the States on that. Yeah. All on dead reckoning. Where did they uh, island hop to? Yeah, they went to um, to um, went out of Auckland to um, Fiji, Fiji Canton, and that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and your actual um, flight in it was that your first flight in a mosquito? 
Uh, it was. It was the first flight. And the reason we did it, what happened, Lou um, tweaked the carburetors at night time, just on flame spectrum, um, and he tuned them down. We went out and we flew for an hour on a selected tank and we could me he could then measure the usage rate. That's what he was looking for. So we flew quite a way around around the manor of two and up towards New Plymouth and all through there. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh And that was the last ever Kiwi to fly in a Yeah, that was the last one. Because they scrapped all the rest. So until Keith and Dave, Dave Phillips, uh, uh, flew the one up there on K114 the other day, that was it. So that was 1955, early, early 1955, so it's a long time ago. Yes. So what had, what had happened to the other four that your father had bought? Uh, the other seven. Oh, the seven. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, there was four. Four. We flew to Palmerston North. There was two left in Tyree that were scrapped, and the two at Ahakia we had to scrap as well. So they all got scrapped. Whole lot. Were you personally involved in the scrapping of those aircraft? Only the two at Ahakia. What's involved in scrapping? Well, we just tore all the metal off and burnt the rest. That was it. We actually, we actually towed the aeroplanes over to a farm at the back of our hackie that belonged to Tom Masters. Now Tom, Tom was a, he ended up as, he had his own flying school in Whanganui and became, ended up as a CAA GM expert, you know, one of the inspectors. Um, and his son, to my knowledge, still flies with Air New Zealand today. Yeah. So that was handy having Tom Masters. He was he was in the Middle Districts Aero Club, and that's how we knew knew him, and we got permission to do it there. So, really, yeah. so that uh, that little bit of money we got out of the metal is uh, helped buy my first section, so I build a house. <laughs> right. Thank you. Yeah. So, so it wasn't a complete loss then? Uh, no, it had its benefits, as it were. Yeah. Well, if, um, if the government hadn't stepped in, then I guess all... The other three would have gone. Yep. yep. We actually built a hangar at Melton, which still stands, and it became... Um, oh, who was it? Bill Bauer, the engineer for Middle Districts Aero Club, he was the one that was going to do the any woodwork that we needed doing on the aeroplane. <clears throat> so we built the hangar, it would just take a mosquito, one, one, and that hangar is still there at Milson, there today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what happened to your father's business in the end? Is it still going? Or? Uh, no, it's not still going. We uh, we but had a lot of different agencies, and one of the agencies was with a firm called Gravner, Gravner Fire Protection Company in UK, and eventually that became quite a major part of our business. So we split off the aircraft spare parts which was called Air Spares and Frank Britton became a partner in it. So there were three shareholders in the whole business. There was my father Frank Britton and myself and I looked after the Gravener side of the business and Frank looked after the airspace side of it. Then we set up a Gravener in Australia and a Gravener in, in Hong Kong. And uh, that was going along quite well. My father had been to Hong Kong and on his way back he died in Melbourne actually. So, oh, prior to that we 
had sold Gravner to Gravner. So we became one of their subsidiary companies that they wholly owned us. So when my father died, um, they elected to keep me me there and running it, uh, which I did. And uh, I used to go to Australia every six weeks for 17 years I did that. I used to go to England every year. They took me to, uh, put me through a pressure cooker course at London School of Economics, three month course, which was fa fabulous. And um, I established the company in Gravner, South Africa as well. So I had a very good broad grounding in, in business, if I can put it that way. Yeah. And then eventually they decided to get out of it altogether and um, the company ultimately was broken up, sold off. And now the Williams people in UK own it, own Gravner. That's what happens to companies, you know, they do they move around Yes. for different things. Had your father um, continued doing any display flying when he got to New Zealand? Uh, my father personally didn't fly. He was not a pilot. Oh, right. No, he was an, very much an engineer. Yep. Uh, uh, he didn't do any flying here in New Zealand. Oh. His air circus, he had, uh, I think there's three or four pilots in their group, but um, one of them being his brother, of course, until he got killed. And one of the pilots there became his chief test pilot at DAP, Department of Aircraft Production, in Melbourne, a chap called Slim Sheltonham, who ultimately retired with about 22,000 hours. Yeah. Fascinating. Really, really amazing stuff. Mm. Have you written a book yet? I, I've written some notes, <laughs> basically. It's um, no, really, really amazing. There's some notes to it. Oh, right, okay. Oh, yeah, you got up to see the mosquito flying, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you think of that? Oh, it's great. Right. And, yeah, of course, I know Keith well. And, uh, yep, yep. No, no problem. No, they did a marvellous job of it. Um, no question about that. Certainly a bit of a stunning thing to see for someone like me who had never seen one before. Uh, oh, right. You know, it was just... It was actually, I have to admit, you know, I've been looking forward to it for all the years I've followed the project, but seen it in the air was actually way better than I was expecting. Was, oh, yeah. yeah. It's a nice-looking aeroplane. Yeah, yeah. But the one thing, you know, I've flown a lot of de Havilland stuff, and all the aeroplanes are a delight to fly. They're nice to fly, you know, they really are. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas some of the other stuff is, um, you know, not that good. Right, right. How do you feel about the fact that the one that was saved and went to the States and flew all those years is now gone because it's been rotted away? Well, it's sad to see anything, you know, whether it's an aeroplane or a car or anything, see, you know, just get down to that sort of state. It, it just um, brings back memories that um, you'd rather keep and rather not see that sort of thing. Well, that's it there. Yes, yes. Yeah. And um, there's a very weak area around, just around the back here, of the wings. And um, uh, when you look at that photo, see where it's broken its back? Yep. That's yep. the weak link. And if there's any, any damage in that area, it's just about unrepairable because, because of the type of structure it is. I gather it has gone to a museum somewhere. Uh, just not quite where, sure where it is. I, I recently saw a photograph of what's what is left of it, and it's just a, a wee pile of 
rusted metal now. It's yeah. not, nothing as good as that. All right, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, did the thought ever cross your mind at the time when you knew you had to break them up? Did you ever think, oh, I wish I could keep one of these? No, didn't think about that way. Not yeah. at all. Um, Warbirds thing hadn't really got onto off the scene at that stage. Yeah. And I I didn't even think of um, keeping any of the various things that I've had over the years. See, my early, my first aeroplane was the Chipmunk BSB, uh, which I bought off the Otago Aero Club. Bought it off Keith Skilling's father, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Old Hugh. Um, and Otago, and that was the first one. Then, of course, I had uh, all the Cessnas, <clears throat> um, the, the twin, the Duchess. Yep. Yeah. I enjoyed the Duchess, it was good. And of the Cessnas, I think the nicest Cessna of all is the 182. Uh, we had a 206, and they're, they're heavy. Um, the 180s and the 185, which I had one of each, um, they're work aeroplanes. Whereas the 182 is comfortable, you can just open the door and step in, you haven't, didn't have to bloody lean back and all that. <laughs> it, um, but the, you know, getting into the, um, into the harbour with Trevor and the boys taught me a terrible lot. And, um, the, the the importance of briefing, but the most important part was debriefing. The debriefing's the thing that taught you, because you go out and do it, then the debriefing told you whether it's right, wrong, or you have to change it. And in fact, Ken here would not fly with you unless you're prepared to stay behind and debrief. He was absolutely adamant on it, and uh, it was that discipline in the flying that, because I was a bit of a cowboy when I was a youngster, um, but the discipline was brought in after I was age 40. Uh, it, was, it was, the better display people are tending to be older age. And, uh, no, it's great, I thoroughly enjoyed flying. And of course, the yak can do so much more than the harbour. Yeah, and, and its performance really is very good. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, 75 Squadron when you first arrived there. You said that. The well, our, our, our um, CEO was uh, Freddie Tucker. Fred Tucker was the CEO at the time, with Bob Staples as as the A-Flight Commander and we had uh, gosh 12, 15 mozzies that were all being put into uh, into storage and we'd taken over some of the vampires um, and became ACU which is conversion unit um, for vampire pilots, um, the uh, AC flying was um, Johnny Checkets, then Doug St George was uh, I think next, and I'm trying to think Wood. Um, Tiny White was the CO, the, the base commander, okay. Group Captain White. And while, we, while I was there, actually, <laughs> he um, ran out of fuel and landed at Bloody Harbour in the paddock somewhere, <laughs> which we had to bring in, a bit sadly. Um, the Air Force in the 50s was a bit of a cowboy place. And if you look at the history, you'll see there's quite a few people killed, quite a lot. Uh, 
I was there when uh, Jones Pritchard went in the vampire on the uh, practice day before 14 Squadron passing out. He uh, changed his routine uh, and I appreciate this more today than I did then but he had a routine to do and he was doing it. He changed it midstream. Of course he paid the price. He didn't have the the height envelope for the change. And so you really do have to think your routines out very carefully on you know what to give you your MS minimum MSA on it. So I've seen that occur several times. Over the years, saw it at the Paris Air Show when the uh, the A-10, the Boeing test pilot, took off and looped it straight off the bloody runway. He didn't didn't reach high enough you know, to get around, and he splattered straight on the bloody runway in Paris. So uh, you see these things. Yeah. With 75 Squadron, uh, what was the the morale like in those days and the, and the sort of social life, the camaraderie? Oh, well, it's good fun. Uh, you know, things were uh, pretty hectic in the canteen and all that. We used to have parties down under the bridge, you know, balls, the old balls bridge. Um, um, Buckmaster came through as a sergeant pilot and did his, have you heard of Buckmaster? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Buck came through as a sergeant pilot and then he became one of the top uh, helicopter pilots here in New Zealand um, as well as you know vampires and then he, he went on to become a, uh, a captain in one of the Airlines, yeah, afterwards. But we had had some great fun there. And while I was at Ahaki, I was in the station band as well. So I um, then got um, I got selected to become the in the Air Force band during the Queen's tour. So I was the what they call the dress drummer. There's six drummers. And the dress drummer was the guy in the middle because you can't follow the drum major. So you use what they call the dress drummer. So, uh, the whole thing circles around him. So we went into camp uh, two months before the Queen arrived and uh, built up and we did the, did the um, up Queen Street uh, the day she arrived, then we did the parade at Fenua Pai with the presentation of her colours to the Air Force. Then we did the concert in Town Hall. Then we saw her off in um, in Invercargill when she would sailed off in the Gothic. So that was great. Yeah, that was good. Was there much uh, inter-squadron rivalry with 14 Squadron back then? I know there was a lot of... It probably was in some ways, um, but no, not really. Um, the, the 14 Squadron guys had finished their occupational work, their, their training. They were doing all their weapons side of it, whereas the guys like... Buckmaster and and the other pilots who came through, they were just starting. And whilst they probably saw each other in a mess and talked as as we people do, um, no, there wasn't that because they were at a different level. They really were quite different. Yeah. I guess there must have been a lot of excitement. Um, going from the mosquitoes to jets, everyone must have been... Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Well of course, Freddie Tucker was one of them, you know, he, the, the 75 Squadron and Bob, both Bob's. I actually went for a fly with Freddie Tucker in one of the uh, 
one of them dual vamps and he took us up to 30,000 feet and he said well we're going to go down quickly so he put it in maximum rate of descent which is vertical with dive brakes out and it only takes a couple of minutes believe you me and you're really racing down and um, when I was doing conversion with um, with um, oh gosh uh, John Peterson on the vampire here in Auckland we did the same thing and it's quite something to push to, while I do it in the uh, in the uh, yak you know, typical there um, it's, uh, it takes something to do that to go absolutely vertical down is most people do that but to go absolutely vertical it's quite something to do uh, uh, do I gather that uh, the the uh, mechanical staff, all the troops on the squadron were fairly friendly with the pilots. There was no division? Not a lot of division. They used to come along down to the bloody parties down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Maine, Hawkins and Usher, Dave Eden. He, uh, Dave became chief pilot in New Zealand later on. Um, of course, John Denton and uh, and um, Ross Ewing, they all came along later on after I left, left there. But, um, no, the Vampire Boys, I, because they're all the same, we're all the same age. You know, Brian Usher, Stanley Hutt, another one. Um, he ended up coming uh, the uh, OC of 75 Squadron later on. Yeah. And uh, I'm still a member of the 75 Squadron Association. Yeah. So no, I um, I enjoyed my service uh, service career. We did a lot of things. Really, when when I think back, it gave me that good grounding to be able to slip into industry. And um, I was very lucky in having the opportunity to get into big business later on, you know, whilst we were only small here in New Zealand, we, uh, I was involved in, in, in uh, selling equipment into South Africa uh, when it was an embargo from UK and uh, we sold 400 million pounds with gear there in 1976. Ooh, that's a lot of money in those days. A lot of money in those days. A lot of gear. And I was actually sitting in uh, in the Ministry of Defence building in in Pretoria uh, the day the Israelis let off their atomic weapon in uh, one of the old gold mines. Yeah. So don't let anybody ever tell you they haven't got atomic weapons. No, quite differently. Yeah. 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 Yes, I've uh, heard a similar thing from a mate of mine who um, was in the South African military. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they um, the the road from Pretoria to Joburg is a three-lane highway with a. Um, centre piece and another three and you go past hills and the doors open and there's squadrons of bloody aeroplanes that come out and they use the road. That was it. On one of the aerodromes I went to, every aeroplane had the same markings on it and the only way that pilots knew where to go to was a colour code by the door how they did it. So when they went into Mozambique and all those sort of countries chasing these bloody terrorists up in the north there, they uh, they kept reporting these helicopters, you know. We've only got one. <laughs> so you know, all that sort of history is uh, quite fascinating actually. You know, we did a lot of business in South Africa, really did. Of course, we own 
we owned um, Payne's Wessex and Shimuli, uh, both pyrotechnic companies, and made hardware and other bits and pieces. But Gravner, we sold all the kits for upgrading all their tanks, trucks, aeroplanes, the whole thing. Uh, it's just uh, quite amazing, really. Mm. Well, thank you very much. It's been great to yeah. chat. And no problem. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.